The joy of being outdoors is we get the experience, not only the great outdoors, we also get to experience the motorcycles behind us. And if we're lucky enough, about the time, too early, too early, about the time I get to my main point and it's like, this is the moment, the train's going to come by, okay? So just so you know, that's exactly how this goes. All right. So, um, uh, the last couple months, um, and, and I don't know if this is pandemic related and everybody's spending more time at home or I, I'm not sure exactly why, but I'll just say over the last few months, I've had a lot more parents send me emails. And these emails go something like this. My teenager, in other words, if, we were, uh, if you were able to tune in last week, in other words, the next generation of, of human beings, okay, the future are asking me as a parent questions about faith and Christianity and religion. And the, the, the email goes on and says something to the effect of either what is your take on this, Taylor, or I really have no idea how to respond. What do I do? And since that's been happening a lot, um, I, I thought we need to kind of have a conversation about it. And personally, it kind of hits cl close to home for me um, because as I've shared many times, um, there was a season of my life uh, when I left home and I went off to college, especially when um, I had questions about faith and Christianity and the answers I got, I felt like were really insufficient. And so ultimately I walked away from Christianity and, and an active participant in faith in any way for a couple of years as I was trying to figure it out. And I learned a lot through that experience. And one of the contributing factors to the existence of this church, Infused Church, is because we want to help people process through those questions, doubts, concerns that you may have about Christianity. We hope to be a church for unchurched people to explore faith and find community, okay? And um, now, to be honest with you, and I'm being really transparent, okay? I have held back in my preaching a little bit. Not because I don't care, um, but because I was just a little nervous that if I went into some of these topics, um, you, half of you would like kind of freak out and just leave um, because it requires us to talk about things that may interrupt some of the uh, perceptions and ideas that you were raised with if you grew up in church. If you're unchurched, then for you, this could seem mildly actually interesting and maybe helpful. Uh, for, for those of you, though, that are Christians, um, it could... Um, you know, it can freak you out just a little bit um, today and tomorrow, and, and we'll see where we go on um, from there. And so anyways, I am going to choose my words, try to choose my words wisely as we move through this, but I just wanted to give you a fair warning um, why I'm talking about this. Also that, that, you know, that it may push your comfort zone a little bit, um, but the only way I know how to address these topics is by or address some of the concerns of the next generation and, and what's happening in Christianity uh, is for us to, to talk about this stuff. And so um, if, if I mess with your faith a little bit, or you just think I'm dead wrong, email me and let's have, let's have a conversation about it. Let's, let's go out for some outdoor coffee and discuss it, Okay. But overall, um, the, overall, in, in Christianity in general, in the Western world, in the United States in general, Christianity is on the decline. And I think one of the reasons is, is because their doubts, people's doubts and your questions are not being answered or not being answered sufficiently. Um, atheism, on the other hand, and nothingness, which is essentially 
I don't want anything to do with religion. I'm not taking a stand. I'm not agnostic. I'm not atheist. I'm not Christian. I'm not anything. Those two categories, the demographics of people over the last 10 years has doubled, has doubled. Whereas Christianity has continuously stagnated or declined. And I think part of that is because we're not willing to have conversations about things in part because we don't know, but also because it's just a, um, a posture uh, that we have taken as a church um, and we have become maybe a bit more known as for our hostility rather than our willingness to have a conversation. And so if you're a Christian, that should concern you. I hope it would concern you. I hope you think to yourself, well, I want to help kind of reverse the trend of that tide. Um, and, and so today and the next few days, I'm hoping to give you tools to do that. And for those of you who are not Christian or, you know, seeking or trying to figure out or just getting back into Christianity, hopefully today we'll give you some tools in your tool bucket to hopefully from this day forward, kind of do Christianity in a, in a healthy and appropriate way. And it really isn't any new tools, by the way. And we talked about this last week. Uh, what I'm hoping to do is give you tools that the early church used, the church for the first few hundred years of the church used to navigate the world, to navigate doubts and questions and concerns. And we can learn from that and do that our Selves, okay? So people have questions. They're not getting answered. People see Christianity generally as hostile. hostile. Uh, they see Christianity as like anti-science. They see Christianity as like a little judgmental and uh, in some cases a little extreme and not being willing to have conversations over people's lifestyles and choices. And so that in part has led uh, to the decline, which is really unfortunate because, as I said 2,000 years ago, when the church first started, um, they were all about having conversations. They were all about having discussions. They were all about figuring it out. And there was a number of reasons for that, but one of the biggest ones was because nobody else was a Christian at the time. You got me? Like, when Christianity started, there were like a handful of Christians and so if Christianity was going to spread, people had to have conversations. People had to have discussions. People had to be willing to talk about it. And so last week I left you with that idea of, hey, responding to people's questions or maybe responding even to your own questions, your internal questions about faith and God and those kinds of things with the statement of, that's a great question. Let's have a conversation about it. That's a great question. Let's figure it out. Out. So that's what I left you with last week. And if you missed last week, you can always watch on our app or um, on our website. It's, it's there. Um, so anyways, uh, now we see this trend. And the trend is, and, and you recognize this if you've uh, um, existed for a, a few years, and that is that 40 years ago, um, 40 years ago, rarely would you... Uh, see people questioning Christianity. 40 years ago, rarely would you turn on the TV and see someone criticizing Jesus or criticizing the Bible. In fact, pre-2000, you probably are going to struggle to find many books written uh, from an atheist or agnostic perspective. But kind of something that happened, and we can't get into it too long, but essentially when 9-11 happened, um, people had a new sense of religious angst or anti-religiosity or in, in atheism, anti-theism or anti-God. And that has only grown. And now, when, when, um, now uh, we have people who are questioning. Not only do we have people that are questioning and criticizing, we have teenagers who are questioning and criticizing. 40 years ago, teenagers didn't ask you questions about creation. 40 years ago, teenagers um, didn't ask questions, why suffering? 
40 years ago, teenagers didn't suggest that all Christianity or religion was was a framework of ethical and moral ideas to try to impose uh, a more um, agreeable society or create a more agreeable society. But now, in fact, because I got an email to that effect, that's what teenagers are wondering. Is religion just simply here so we behave ourselves? 40 years ago, teenagers just went to Sunday school and Bible camp and memorized the verses and confirmation and they checked all the boxes and then they went on and lived their life because then everything was okay. And that's not happening anymore. Those days are gone. There is no more social respect for Christianity. And now one thing I just say as a side, Christians, we need to stop pouting about that. Like it's going to be okay especially because the church began and nobody was a Christian and they didn't pout about it. They got to work. They had conversations. Now, today, though, we're in an environment where popular atheists like Richard Dawkins, if you may have heard of the book uh, The God Delusion, or Sam Harris, uh, Letters to a Christian Nation, have sold millions and millions of copies. Millions of copies. And their, their talks and lectures and debates on YouTube have garnered millions upon millions of views. Views, in fact, that probably are some of your own children's views, your grandchildren's views, maybe even your own views on YouTube. And so we can either ignore the trend, we can walk away, or we can engage with it. We can engage with those people who are watching those things. And in all fairness, honestly, if you binge watch some of their videos, like just a night of binge watching some of these um, individuals' videos, you would probably be left questioning some of your faith ideals too, because they're very persuasive and they're very loud. So we can either ignore it or we can engage with it. And here's what I want to talk about. And that's why I want to talk about this uh, today. One thing um, that I have noticed that these uh, very prominent um, anti-Christian, anti-religious figures target, is, it, well, there's one thing in particular that they target. Anybody want to guess what that is? There's one tar target that they just, they just go back to again and again and again and again. And so therefore your children and your children's children, they, they're seeing this. Anybody want to take a stab at what it is? You can take a guess in the chat too. Anybody want to take a stab? What's that one thing that they always go back to? You can sing it if you want to. The B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, they always go back to the Bible. They always go back to the Bible. And then they, they say, if, if you believe Christianity, then you believe what the Bible says. And the Bible says this in Genesis. Can you believe it? The Bible says this in Leviticus. Can you believe it? Or the Bible has verses that contradict each other. So how do you reconcile that, Christians? And what kind of begins to happen is a little bit of, of this Jenga puzzle, if you will. A search, uh, it, like, you, you get on YouTube and, and um, you search YouTube. You, you can go on YouTube after, after today. I just did a quick skim on, on YouTube for some of these popular figures. One of the videos was uh, titled, this is the title of the video, Richard Dawkins Destroys the Ten Commandments. One, I wrote it down, 1.6 million views, okay? And you sit there and you watch some of these videos and it, he brings things up that really make you uncomfortable, about the Ten Commandments and things you've never really thought about as a human being and, and a Christian. I don't play Jenga very well, so this may end very quickly. Um, and it begins to undermine 
your faith. It begins to make you question it in ways that you've never questioned it before. And it begins to pull out some of the foundations of your faith, which has been built upon what the Bible says, because the B-I-B-L-E is the book for me. And Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But if you ask enough questions, wow, that was almost perfect timing, just like a few seconds early. If you begin to ask enough questions about it and undermine it enough, eventually the tower falls down. And unfortunately, that is the reality of Christian, the next generation's Christianity today. Because if you question the Bible enough, and the Bible is the whole reason you know that Jesus loves you, then does Jesus really love you? I'll say that again, just to make sure we got it in person and online. If you question the Bible enough, and the Bible is the reason you know that Jesus loves you, then does Jesus really love you? I'm just telling you, this was my story personally. And this is the story of millions and millions of teenagers. And these are the emails that I've gotten more so than I've ever gotten before this year alone from parents wondering, what am I going to do with my kids? And often the attack or the premise begins with the B-I-B-L-E. And this is really unfortunate. And what I'm about to say could make some of you uncomfortable. Hopefully you won't walk away. Hopefully you'll stick through to the end of this. But it's something that we, uh, we have to understand if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus. This is something we have to understand if you consider yourself a Christian. If not, this is just probably going to be mildly interesting and probably something you've never heard a pastor say with a microphone on a stage before. Okay, you ready for this? This is not the foundation of Christianity. I'll say it one more time. Don't anybody leave quite yet. This is not the foundation of Christianity. The Bible is authoritative. The Bible is inspired by God. It is good for teaching and correcting and growing, but it is not the foundation of our faith. If it is the foundation of Christianity, hear me clearly on this. If it is the foundation of Christianity, how did Christianity begin without it? How did Christianity begin without it? Because Jesus lived approximately 30-ish AD is when he had his ministry, death, and resurrection. The first version of the B-I-B-L-E, that is the closest to our modern-day version of the Bible— did not exist until about 393 AD. So for over 350 years, Christianity existed and did not have a Bible. So what did Christians do for 350 years without the Bible? What did atheists attack if there was no Bible for those three and a half centuries? That's a great question. 
And if you've spent some time at Infuse, maybe some of you are even thinking to yourself, well, Taylor, didn't you, don't you always say like over and over and over again, for the first 300 years of Christianity, the church exploded. Like historians are still boggled at how Christianity grew so incredibly quickly for the first 300 years. And so Taylor, aren't you saying that for the first 300 years, not only did Christianity explode around the Roman Empire, but they didn't even have the Bible as we know it today. And yet they grew to become the primary religion of the entire Roman Empire? The answer is yes, they did. And they didn't have what we have today. So the next logical question is, so what did they believe? What kept them going? What kept them from giving up in the midst of persecution at the hands of the Jewish leaders, at the hands of the Roman empires? I mean, you read through the first 300 years of the church, it was awful what happened in many cases, to Christians. Terrible, in fact, through the years that Christianity experienced persecution. Why were Christians willing to die for their Christian faith? What was their foundation? Those are such good questions. You all are just so smart. You, get, you all ask such great questions. A great way to answer that is by looking at what the disciples, the people who followed Jesus, said. For example, Peter, who followed Jesus, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, who Jesus actually put in charge of the church after he ascended into heaven. Peter, what do you say is the reason for your faith? Here's what he said. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through, listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, Taylor, didn't you just read that from the Bible? Yes, I did just read that from the Bible. More specifically, I read it from Peter's letter that has been made a part of our Bible. But Peter, after being an eyewitness to Jesus's life, ministry, death, and resurrection, said, I have hope not because the Bible tells me so, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let's look at Paul. Paul, who um, was a, a zealous Jewish leader who persecuted and killed Christians. That's what he did. He even admits that that's what he did. He would destroy families simply because they followed Jesus. He was zealous to wipe Christianity off the face of the planet. He comes to meet the resurrected Jesus. It changes his life, and he becomes not only the greatest church planter, a starter of churches in the Roman world, but then he goes on to write all these letters that through the centuries have become a part of our Bible. Paul, what did you say? What, what, did, what gives you hope, Paul? What gave you hope? Especially, in, there was this one moment where Paul was actually arrested, and he was brought before the same Jewish leaders who, who uh, killed Jesus, who had Jesus executed, the same Jewish leaders. And here's what Paul said is the whole reason for his hope, for his faith, for following Jesus, for his Christian faith. Here's his hope. It is respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead, that I am on trial. These men didn't read about Jesus. They knew Jesus. They saw him die, they saw him rise again, and they saw it, and it was so incredibly powerful. It changed their entire lives. 
It changed the entire uh, direction of their lives. It, It led to their, what you may have heard growing up in church, repentance, which means to choose a different path. They entirely changed the direction of their lives, not because the Bible told them so, but because they saw it for themselves. And it was so incredible that they wanted to share it. And so they wrote letters to tell people about it. And then people like Luke came along and Luke said, I want to go out and thoroughly investigate this. And he had a benefactor who was paying for him to do this, Theophilus. And so he's like, you know what, Theophilus, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm in the medical field, but I'll take a break from that. And I'm going to go out and document what the story of Jesus was all about. Cause I, he, Luke knew Paul and he followed Paul around for many years. And so he went out and he thoroughly investigated is what he said. I thoroughly investigated. I talked to eyewitnesses. And in fact, in some cases I was an eyewitness and here's what I wrote down. And so he wrote the book of Acts and wrote the book of Luke, or we call them books, but really they were, you know, documents or an assortment by no means what we would consider the length of a book today. And, and he wrote them so people, specifically his friend, would know about Jesus. Did they know that they were writing the Bible? People can disagree on this, but I would say no. Part of the reason I say no is because like Paul in his letter to um, uh, Timothy, I want to say it was Timothy, he, um, he actually notes in there, he said, hey, when you come back and see me, would you bring my jacket? I left it. And I really liked that jacket. I don't think he wrote that thinking, oh, I bet Pastor Taylor 2,000 years from now is going to stand up and tell everybody how much I liked my jacket and I wanted my jacket back. They didn't think in terms of this is going to become the Bible. This is going to become the greatest story that's ever told, the most popular book in human history. They didn't think that. They, and I don't know, honestly, I don't think they cared. What they cared about is letting people know about the good news of Jesus. And so they wanted to tell as many people as humanly possible. They wanted to tell people that God had come to earth, had transformed how they saw we should live our lives. He said he was the son of God. He died and rose again and they saw it and it changed their lives. And their letters were shared all over the Roman empire. Eventually they were collected, preserved, and over a few centuries brought together to form what we know today as our New Testament in our Bible. Or more specifically, I should say, the Protestant Bible. This is a Protestant Bible. If you grow up Catholic, you have a little bit different of a Bible. Your Bible is actually bigger than my Bible. Not because it's better, though some have disagreed. You just have a few more books in it than we do. In fact, if you're Eastern Orthodox Christian, you have three variations of it. If you are Oriental Orthodox, you have four variations. If you're the Assyrian church, you have a different version than all of those. But we're all Christian. Not because the Bible tells us so, but because Jesus has changed our lives. Some of you just grew up Catholic. You just realized that your Bible is a little bit different. Hope that didn't freak you out too much. It's not wrong. It's not bad. I've read through the Catholic Bible. 
I know what's here and there for the most part of what's in each version of the Bible. And it's okay. And if you read the history, it's interesting how what became the Bible got in there and when it didn't. And when the Protestants were like, no, we're not keeping those parts in the Bible. And here's why. And so they nixed a couple books in the Old Testament. So we don't have that, but the Catholics kept them. And that's a whole controversy around the Reformation. But regardless, the ultimate focus was and should be Jesus Because the whole reason for Christianity is because a man died and rose again. If you grew up in church, that song that I sang at the beginning was something that, you know, you had to sing fairly regularly. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. And how's the rest of the song go? I stand alone on the, anybody? Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. I want you to read something. Want, I want to read something to you. Something from John, one of Jesus' closest followers. John was one of the only disciples that tradition says did not uh, actually lose his life for his faith. He, he live, went on to live a, uh, a full life. The rest of the 11 remaining disciples after uh, Jesus' death and rec- resurrection uh, were martyred for their faith. And um, I want you to read, I want you to hear what G- uh, John said after he said, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write my own account of Jesus' life based on my experiences and what I saw, and he wrote it to a particular audience. He wanted them to know and and experience what he experienced, okay? And this is how he describes Jesus. And it's just beautiful. It's it's some of the most beautiful imagery, in my opinion, in in the entire Bible. Here's how John describes Jesus. And remember that song, the B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Listen, in the beginning was the word. First sentence of his account of Jesus' life, the book of John. And the word was with God. Okay, so John, you're saying this B-I-B-L-E was with God, literally this ink, paper, parchment, it was with God. The word was God. Oh, interesting. So this is literally God. Verse two, he, the word is a he, Okay, well, John, we can, uh, you know, we can make it gender exclusive if that matters a lot. You know, we'll just call the Bible a he, okay? Uh, He was with God in the beginning. Who was he? The word, a few verses ahead. The word became flesh. Well, that's weird. If the word of God is a book, then how did it become flesh? And made his dwelling, his tent, his uh, tabernacle, he's referencing some Old Testament um, uh, uh, stories and, and essentially he's saying, God came to earth in the flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Doesn't sound like ink and paper anymore, does it? The word of God sounds a whole lot more like Jesus. I agree that we should, as Christians, stand alone on the word of God. I just spell it a little differently. My version goes J-E-S-U-S, not the B-I-B-L-E. 
And the only reason I say that is because that's what John, who followed Jesus and one of his, one of his three closest followers, literally stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus breathed his last breath and one was, was one of the first people to see Jesus alive again three days later. And he said, you want to know what the word of God that was there at the beginning now and forever is? It's Jesus. That's your filter for your life, Jesus. When you read the Bible, you read it through the filter of Jesus. When men and women would bring letters like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, when, they, when the gospels started appearing into history, they would bring them before churches just like this one. And you all huddled around because they were not in buildings because you couldn't have buildings because otherwise they'd get burned down and you all would get killed. But that's what would just happen in those days. So they hid in homes. And so what would happen is a letter would be written or Paul would write a letter and they'd bring the letter before the church and someone male or female would stand up front and would read that letter. And they would gather there to read the letter. And it was always done in the context of Jesus. But the Christians weren't there to hear the Bible read. The Christians didn't show up because of the Bible. They were there because Jesus had changed their lives and they wanted to respond. And so they went to church. They went to the community of people. Because the word of God had come to earth and dwelt among us. The Bible is authoritative. It is inspired by God and it can change your life. But not because there's words on a page. It's because the Bible tells the story of the story of God. The Bible brings truth and grace first through what God did and through Jesus. And we read about it in his, in the stories and teachings and recollections of the biblical authors. I'm a Christian because Jesus died and rose again. And he shows me through that the love of God and how much I matter to the creator of the universe. And hopefully you would come to know how much he matters or you matter to him. And I know that story because I read it in the Bible. But that story happened, whether it's in the Bible or not, it happened. Where does my strength come from? Where does my strength come from? Jesus. Who is the perfecter of our faith? I'm quoting Bible verses to you. What did the biblical authors say? Jesus. Who is the hope in the resurrection? Jesus. Jesus loves me, this I know, because John and Peter and Paul and Andrew and Matthew and Stephen and, and so James, the brother of Jesus, so many people saw him and met him and heard his story, the good news, and it changed their lives. They saw it, they felt it, they shared it, and they trusted it. And when you trust it, when you have faith, you trust in what you cannot see, that's when life changes. That's when my life went from agnostic to follower of Jesus because I took a trust in what has already happened and who Jesus is. And when I did, it changed 
my life. It redeemed me. It brought me to a new path in life. He made me new. And he can for you too. This is the faith that exploded for the first 300 years of Christianity. This is the faith, my friends, that if we do not, for those of you who consider yourselves Christians, if we as Christians do not come back to, we will constantly feel like we're struggling to fight back against something. But we don't have to fight. <laughs> and it's the thing that I just, I, 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 I watch on TV. I, I hear the critics, they get on TV and, or they make social media posts and they say things, you know, I'm going to trust science over an ancient book. Or, you know, if you actually read it, you'd be shocked of what's in there. Or, Can you believe that's in there? Or, you should, you know, these verses contradict each other. They'll say these things over and over and over again. And, and I, when I hear that, I just kind of sit back and I say, I'm not sure you fully grasp the foundation of our Christian faith. Because for three and a half centuries, we didn't have the Bible we have today, and we were just fine. I'm not saying let's get rid of the Bible, far from it. I'm just saying we need to understand the foundation of our faith. Everybody so good? If you have questions, that's great. Let's get coffee. Or come back next week, because we're actually going to keep this conversation going. In fact, I'm going to try next week to get into some of the, you know, more specific arguments and things. Uh, um, I don't know. I may actually, this, I hope this is not like too crazy out there for you guys, but one of the most helpful things for me in actually coming to understand the Bible for Christians is when I took a class on Islam. And once I understood the foundation for Islam, I better understood the foundation for my personal faith. And so we may talk about that next week as well for maybe because it will be helpful to you ultimately. But the phrase that I left you with last week is the phrase that I want to make sure we leave here today. Because for some of you, you may have more questions now. For some of you, you're really going to have to process this week what we just talked about. For some of you, maybe this just clicked in finally because for a long time you've been trying to wrestle this out and now you realize that, hey, there is truth and there is grace and there is authority and inspiration within the biblical story. It's God's story. But it's what Jesus did that changes lives. It's what Jesus did that changed his life. So if you have questions, you're trying to figure that out. Remember what we talked about last week. I said at the beginning of this, the, the, today's message, that's a great question. Let's figure it out. That's a great question. Let's figure it out. Tell that to yourself too. That's a great question, me. Let's figure it out. I want to leave you with a quote from Sam Harris, one of these uh, very well-known atheists. And maybe you didn't know them, but just know that they are well-known uh, within religious circles. And, and um, uh, anyways, and, and so I've watched some of his stuff and uh, I've listened to his podcast. And uh, um, anyways, I, I, I think he's a really smart thinker. We just disagree on some key things. Anyways, here's what he said. Here's a direct quote from him. We must pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance. We must pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance. 
And I'm just telling you, if you stick around through the rest of this series, because we're going to jump back into the book of Acts and, and the early church and how they shared the good news of Jesus out to the world, there is so much of those conversations and discussions of, we don't know. Paul says, we're trying to figure it out. Peter says, I get the questions. And we're going to pay attention to them. And we're going to work through them. And we're going to figure it out together. We're going to have hard conversations. It's not going to be easy, but we're going to figure it out together. And I couldn't agree more. If you would, bow your heads. And if you're comfortable praying with me, that'd be awesome. Heavenly Father, Lord, this is a difficult concept for those of us who grew up in church. And we were taught that ultimately the foundation of our faith, whether directly said or just insinuated, was a book. But it's so much better than that. This isn't just a book, it's, it's your story. We get to read thousands of years of history of what you have done through the world. Lord, help us to see it for what it is, to see the truth and the grace that you have brought through these words and these stories that you have brought through your son and realize for Christianity, that's where it begins. That's where it begins. Thank you for preserving these texts for thousands of years so we could have this story to share to learn from and grow from. But help us to not lose sight of where truth comes from. You. Where grace comes from, you. Where hope comes from, you and what you have done through this world. Help our hearts. Maybe not, it's not going to happen today. Maybe it's going to happen over weeks or years as we process through some of these things and we grow and we ask questions. Help our hearts though, Lord, to not stop pursuing truth. And ultimately, as we pursue that journey, we don't just sit back and let the world pass us by and you know, just kind of push religion off to the side or put our faith up on our shelf, but that we pursue it. Pursue it. Because I just know, Lord, through my own story, and I know through some of the stories of people who are here and a part of this church, that ultimately you will be at the end of that truth-seeking quest. Help us not to give up, but to keep pursuing that. In your name I pray. Amen.